Hey guys, welcome to, uh, I should say the class, hey Pilate, welcome to the Friday episode of um, English Teacher Radio. Um, I'm recording this a little early, so right now it's 4.52 p.m. and um, I want to talk a little bit about, I want to establish some themes. So first, it's been a long time since we've been together and I kind of want to back way up. So your summer reading impromptu, do you guys remember that? You guys had to, and then also the color purple essay, you had to write an essay that articulated a literary argument. Okay, so let's stop and define what that is. The literary argument is the argument that the author is trying to make about a certain topic. So Alice Walker is trying to make a many literary arguments in the color purple. And it's your job as the reader to figure out what those arguments are and how she proves those arguments. She probably uses elements like character and dialogue and um, all sorts of stuff that authors use to make the argument. But the literary argument, the definition is, what is the argument that the author is trying to make through their work of literature? And the way that we start to have that conversation is about at this point in the book, we're, I don't know, um, well, we're 10 chapters in, nine chapters in. So we now are aware of the topics. So we don't know the argument that Achebe is trying to make, but we do know the topics that he's going to be arguing about. And then your job, and this is going to be part of what we're going to discuss at the end of the book, is to dissect and figure out what is Achebe trying to say about these topics. If you watch the video, the PBS interview with him, um, in the sort of interim of us being out of school, he talks about how there is a there are books missing from the, from the shelves in terms of literature. <clears throat> and he wrote Things Fall Apart, because he felt like a story was missing, right? We know, we know about the European conquest of Africa, but only from the perspective of the Africans. And he wanted to tell the story of the Igbo people. And what I think a lot of us are finding surprising, or at least I found this surprising the first time I read it, and I know I've said this before, but he's not creating a utopia. He's not saying like, oh, life was perfect here, and then the Europeans messed it all up. The Europeans did mess a lot of things up, but they there's a huge part of the story missing. And Achebe is trying to tell us that part of the story. And that part of the story is very complicated and it's going to get more complicated once we see the religion, the religions collide. Okay. So I'm going to introduce some theme topics on this episode of the podcast. And I want you guys to start to think about how, like, I want you to start to think about what is Achebe trying to argue about blank topic. So the first one that we're going to talk about, which I came up a lot in um, in the homework, was is the topic of hypermasculinity. The reason why I love this book is because every single topic that we're going to talk about is a topic that our society struggles with. It's a topic that all societies have struggled with. And um, part of what I'm going to have you guys do at the end of the book is try to examine how we see the theme play out in the 21st century. So hypermasculinity, you got your boy Okonkwo who kills a Kemefuna. And um, a number of you talked about how he's terrified of being seen as weak. And then I just read another student's paper a few hours ago. And that student said, you know, excuse the yawning guys. That student said he is so insecure. And I found that comment to be so accurate and so interesting in the sense that Okonkwo is extremely insecure. 
which is weird because he's this gigantic human who like isn't afraid of blood and you know kills people when he has to go to war but he's terrified of being seen as weak especially because he knows his dad has given his family a bad name so that really motivates him to act the way he does and I started to think about this theme of hypermasculinity as I was writing comments on this person's paper. Hypermasculinity is something we see in our culture 120%. If you haven't seen it yet, I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, like, turn on the news, hypermasculinity. Um, we see hypermasculinity in leadership all the time. We have all, um, you know, patriarchy is obviously something that pretty much every part of the globe is familiar with. And we have many examples throughout human history and contemporary examples of hypermasculinity. And Okonkwo is a, you know, zoomed in version of hypermasculinity. And the thing that I wrote on this person's paper was that at least part of what appears to be happening now is Achebe is saying, wow, hypermasculinity can damage a person. It can damage a community. It can damage an entire society. And let's, let's pause here and digress to the 21st century. I read something um, on Twitter, of course, about like what is required of leadership in the midst of a pandemic. And one thing that they talked about is that humility is really essential with leadership because the leader needs to acknowledge when there was a misstep. They have to acknowledge where mistakes were made so they can fix things. A leader has to listen to people that are smarter than them in certain categories. A leader has to take into account the issues that affect millions of people, right? So a leader, specifically in a time of crisis, they were saying, we need a leader that is humble enough to understand what is being communicated to him. And let's all pause and reflect for a moment on the humility of our leaders. Hmm. Okay. And, and one thing that, that I think is important is like, I I would just looking at like Mr. Malash. Okay. He's the leader. He's the leader of our school. Um, you know, he has said in a number of emails to the staff and I know he's been communicating with you guys also like, Hey, let's, you know, let's all remind ourselves. Like, this is the first time we've ever gone through this. Like, you know, there's just a lot of grace in his leadership because he'll admit when he, maybe did something wrong or he'll admit when he doesn't know the answer. And that is an excellent quality in a leader. At least I think so. I want my leader to be able to say, I I don't know the answer. When we look at other leaders like Whitmer, Cuomo, Newsom, then you got Trump, you got, um, you got, why can't I think of her name? I just saw this Twitter clip of the, um, It'll come to me in a sec. You know, all these people around the globe were able to see how every single leader is responding to COVID-19. And I I 100% agree with the comment that, um, oh, Angela Merkel, that's what I was thinking of. Um, I 100% agree with the comment that a leader needs to be humble. And the thing is, the point that I'm trying to make is humility and hypermasculinity, they don't go together. If you're a hypermasculine, you are none of the following things. You are not humble. You are not vulnerable. You are not a negotiator. You are not a listener, right? All these things a hypermasculine, a hypermasculine leader does not have. 
And, you know, it doesn't take long in analyzing human history to understand that hypermasculinity can be really damaging to a, a person, a community. But at the same time, and I, I swear, you guys, everything we're going to talk about today has a paradox. Hypermasculine leaders are essential to the survival of the Igbo people. Plain and simple. If they were to say, oh, you know, you guys are going to show up with your spears and we're going to go to war and, um, you know, we're just not interested in war. We're going to so we're going to have a meeting and, you know, we're all going to say how we feel about a topic and we can draw out some contract negotiations that could have in certain instances meant that they were annihilated. Right. So the paradox is hypermasculinity is toxic, period. Hypermasculinity allows cultures to survive, period. Now, what do we do with that? Well, that's up to you guys to figure out. Um, we have to figure out how, what we do with that paradox, and we also have to figure out what Achebe is trying to argue about hypermasculinity. Okay, next one, gender. Um, the topic of gender is really uh, sex and gender, and by the word sex, I mean like biological, right? And, and then gender, of course, means how your society defines what a male or a female does in the world. Okay, so for this one, I, I also really like this topic because it easily translates to the 21st century. And again, all three themes that I'm going to talk about today, they all overlap because um, we're all in the same book. Okay, so for gender, we have Ozinma, we have Okonkwo, we have Nuoye. This is really like the gender trifecta of the book. Nuoye, we know, is not a typical male for his, for his culture. He prefers to listen to his mother's stories. He doesn't like to hear about fighting. He doesn't seem like a fighter. I had to take a sip of water. Um, and he clearly is not going to be able to follow in the footsteps of Okonkwo. Now, we know, again, Okonkwo being so hypermasculine, he's not going to bend at all in, in what he expects of Nuoye. So you can probably guess what's going to happen to this relationship because this happens in 21st century um, father-son relationships all the time where the son understands who his dad is. The son understands that his dad will never negotiate how he feels about certain topics. And then the son has to make choices. Um, it's the reality for a lot of young people, I should say both male and female. Um, but for Nuoye, he's got some choices to make as he gets older. Um, and that's just something that you want to think about. How does gender in a household, in a culture, in a community, um, how can those roles really impact the relationships between, you know, even in a family? Okay. Azima is, I gotta say like Azima reminds me of my own daughter. And I don't mean to say that I wish my daughter was born a boy cause that's not true at all. But, um, Tatum is very, um, what's the word? She's very proud. She's, um, I don't want to say that she's like sassy. I don't really like that word, but she's a very proud, she's extremely confident. And I know a lot of little girls are. And then the research says that about the age of between eight and 10, that really takes a dive. Um, she's very confident. She's very proud. Um, she'll stick up for herself. She's very good at articulating when she doesn't like something. Um, and she's just very fun to be around. You know, adults, you know, we, my husband and my son, who's 12, um, we love having her around. She's just a really funny person. And so 
I think about, I, I don't want to say that I worry about her because I don't, but I do understand what the research says. And the research says that you have little girls who are full of life and energy and, um, you know, ingenuity and curiosity, just like every kid. And then they're going to hit a certain age, late elementary school to middle school. And then all of that pride, all of that confidence uh, can crash. Like that is a huge part of what it means to be a girl. Right. And, um, and I don't know that I think, I think your generation, I'd be interested to know, I want to know how this works for you. I think your generation is probably, you know, you guys are like, um, you, you, maybe the data for you in terms of how diverse are your math and science classes, like you're doing a better job than anybody has ever done. But, um, I think if you're a female listening to this, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about this in Azima's culture. And I know I've talked about this previously. She has one path. That path is to get married and have kids. And any attribute Azima has um, will probably go largely, you know, she, she won't be able to really pursue anything. And I mean, I, you know, a lot of people talked about this in their questions and they were kind of saying like, look, if you're a female in this culture and this is okay with you, meaning the arranged marriage, um, okay. But it, it also feels like a situation where there's no choice. And I agree with that. I would also, I also want to ask the question because someone in their questions was like, oh, these situations could never happen in America. And I think that a lot of these situations might not happen in your America, right? Like where you live and who you live with and where you go to school, but they happen in America. We just, maybe that's not a part of our community. Um, in our, I would hope that in your world, young women are valued f for all the things that they have to offer, right? Intellect, leadership, all the things that we look and expect from young men. Now, that wasn't always the case, obviously. I'm going to um, digress on an anecdote here. My grandmother was in college during World War II, and so there were no men on her campus. And she really thrived in that atmosphere because she was able to like be the editor of the newspaper and take on all these leadership roles. Um, but after the war ended, um, she got married. She had no job. She raised children. That was it. That was all she did. She was exceptionally bright. She was exceptionally creative. And all those talents went to like making Christmas cards and knitting and um, all domestic things. I wonder, you know, if my grandmother had been born a different generation, I think she could have run companies. I think she could have done any number of things, which is not to say maybe she wouldn't. Maybe she would have chosen to be been a housewife anyway, but she just didn't have the choice. She didn't have the options. And that's kind of what I'm trying to say is that if you are a, a, like, like it, it applies to both genders. If you're a male in certain cultures, there are expectations and there are limited freedoms and all of that becomes damaging to the individual. If you're a female, there are li limited expectations, limited freedoms, and all of that becomes damaging. And yet, why is it so hard for us to, to like let things go and let people be who they want to be? Okay, time for the paradox. So what did I just say? I said gender roles can limit freedoms. And it can really hurt a family, an individual. Gender roles also define a culture. They create cultural identity. Well, we want cultural identity, don't we? Who are we if we don't have it? So there's the other paradox. There's the next paradox for you guys. And 
I want you to think about that paradox and then also think about what Achebe is trying to say about the theme. Okay, last theme. Tradition versus change. Um, I asked people in their, in their uh, what's it called? I want you guys to be, sorry, pause, period. Stop that thought. As I'm going through these themes, I want you guys to think about things that you have seen either on Netflix or other places that discuss or talk about these themes in some way. Okay, third one, tradition versus change. Okonkwo is a person, is a man who wants the tradition to remain the same. Obiarika, as we just saw, I think in chapter nine, is a man who kind of says, meh, I don't know that I agree with everything. Many of you guys said you compared the oracle to our, no, not the oracle, sorry. When it said like, oh, the ruling body. Many people talked about like, okay, the oracle and their customs surrounding the oracle, that's their ruling body. And then you guys said, the a bunch of people said, uh, the constitution is our ruling body. This is actually a great metaphor because I want you to think about this. In the book, you have guys like Obi, guys like Okonku who are like, no, you know, this is how it's always been. And this is how it's always going to be. And then Obiarika, he'll say, he has said already, and he's going to say later, like, we can't do, continue to do some of these things. We know better, right? We are now aware that some of this stuff, it's just, and trust me, they're going to become a lot more, what's the word I'm looking for? I don't want to say the word educated, but I think that's what I mean. Like, things are going to test the oracle for sure. And Obiarika is going to say, like, I don't know that we need to be doing the things we do. In America... Not in 1776, my friends. In the 21st century, can you think of examples where you have people who say the Constitution is the Constitution and I do not want to see elements changed? And other people who say, you know, this is an incredibly archaic document. It was written a long time ago and the world is not the world that we live in today and we have to make sure that we update it to reflect the world we live in. So I'm specifically thinking about the right to bear arms, right? When those debates come up and you guys know this, it tears us apart as a country is what I mean. You know, we hate the other side. Um, and, uh, and that roadblock leads to no change in anything. Anyway, I'm here comes the paradox. Ready? Traditions are valuable and change is necessary for people to evolve. Where, where, this is not a paradox, now it's a question. How do you achieve the, the right steps forward? How do you do that? Especially when, in this case of this book, you have, in just a couple chapters, or probably, probably more chapters than, than you'd like, but eventually, a new world is coming. And for us, you know, unless aliens arrive, I think we're pretty much globalized, but that doesn't change a lot of things. Many of us, would like to say this, this rule is not made for a country where you can walk into any store and buy an AR-15, right? This rule was made for when everybody could own a gun and leave it in their, their, you know, dwelling place. And they could, it, you know, it took a lot more to even fire the gun. Right. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So tradition versus change is a very tricky thing. And it is a, not a thing that only applies to the Igbo people. It very much applies to us, and we see it unfolding all the time. Okay, those are the th three big themes right now. 
hypermasculinity, gender, sex and gender, and tradition versus change. So I want you guys to think about what argument Achebe is trying to make about those three topics. And I also want you to think about how do these topics apply to the life that you're living. The third thing I want you to think about is, have you seen anything really good on like Netflix or Amazon Prime that speak to any of those themes? If you have, let me know. I'd love to hear about them. Okay? All right, guys, it's Friday. I hope you guys have a great weekend. And I'll be back on Monday. Based on my analytics, that means my data, um, with the podcast and classroom and I think, not I think, I'm going to change change some things up next week and then moving forward because I, whatever, you'll see when you check the video on Monday. Um, so expect some changes. That's all I have to say. Have a great weekend.